Life Audio. Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Perseus Poku. On today's episode, we are continuing our series under the heading of soteriology, uh, the study of salvation. And today's topic is sanctification. We've dealt with um, redemption. Uh, we, we, we dealt with uh, justification. Now we want to deal with the idea of sanctification. And after a word from our sponsors, we'll get started on the topic today. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Sanctification, this concept of being set aside for God to use. So, uh, as we said before, soteriology comes from the Greek word soterion, which means salvation along with the suffix lagia, which is where we get ology. So uh, soteriology comes from those two Greek words, which means the study of salvation, the study of salvation. In the Hebrew, there's a word called sadak or sadak, and it means to be just or righteous. And that's how God sees us, and that's what God expects for us, not perfection, but righteous. Uh, we are perfect through the blood in a sense that the blood covers our sins. However, uh, it doesn't mean that uh, we don't have setbacks. It doesn't mean that we don't fall. But what it does mean is that we as Christians, we don't premeditate sin. We don't premeditate uh, doing wrong, meaning that when you know something is wrong, you don't sit there and, and, and jot down how you're going to transgress or how you're going to carry through even though you know it's wrong. That's not the hallmark of a Christian. The Christian, we've, uh, because of our, um, our sin nature, which is still uh, in us, it doesn't dominate us, but it's in us. Paul tells us in Romans that there are two warring factions inside of us. Uh, we have the new nature versus the old nature. So when you got saved, the old nature was not demolished. The old nature was not eradicated. The old nature is still there, but the old nature is weak or should be weak. 
it, it gets weaker every time we get closer to God, every time we allow the Holy Spirit to dominate us. The old nature gets weaker. It's still there. This is why, if we're going to be honest, doesn't matter how long you've been in church. It doesn't matter if you're a Bible study teacher. It doesn't even matter if you're a pastor or an elder. The fact is, every now and then, you, you have a thought that crosses your mind, and you wonder, where did that come from? Every now and then, somebody does something, and you um, commit sin within your heart, and only you and God knows about it. And you're wondering, where did that come from? It comes from the old nature. The old nature is still within us. It just doesn't dominate us. And that's what we need to really think about is the old nature is still there. The, the, it, it's still there uh, for those that are filled with the spirit is, is, is weak. That's why we don't see it. That's why we don't see you talking the way that you used to talk. That's why we don't see you living the way you used to live. That's why we don't see you um, reading the same things that you used to read and going in the same places you used to go to because you are not under the influence of the Holy Spirit and he's dominating you. However, the old nature is still there. But if you take a day off like David did, remember, it says during the time when kings went to war, uh, David, the, uh, is the, the general of Israel, was supposed to be there on the forefront leading his nation. But he decided he wanted to take a day off. And once he decided he was going to take a day off, that's when everything started falling out of alignment. That's when lust came in. That's when he started uh, thirsting after Bathsheba. That's when he started uh, trying to figure out how he could transgress and commit uh, spiritual adultery and physical adultery with this woman. And so uh, there's a lesson there about taking days off. And when we take days off, that's when the old nature rises. That's when the old nature starts getting stronger. So let me try to unpack this. Um, Every day, we ought to be praying. Every day, we ought to be reading God's word. Every day, we ought to be studying. Because when we take a day off from doing those things, that's when we become weaker. That's when some of us become short-tempered. That's where some of us um, become easily angered. Uh, that's that, that that's when some of us are are irritable because we didn't consecrate like we've been doing every day. Uh, we didn't read like we have been doing. We stop attending uh, Bible study. We stop attending uh, church, and 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 then we wonder what's going on. It's because we decided to take a day off in many cases. So be careful of the old nature. It's not dead. It's just dormant. If you're feeding your new nature, uh, someone put it this way. They use the illustration of two, uh, two dogs that are in battle. And depending on the dog that you feed the most, that's the one that's going to win because that dog is stronger. That dog is fed more. That dog is, is, it has nutrients. It's the same thing with our old nature versus our new nature. Depending on which one you feed more, that's the one that's going to represent you. So, again, uh, this topic of soteriology, the study of salvation, is very important. Now, this idea of being just, as I said, the the, the Hebrew word sadak or sadak uh, means to be right, 
or just. It means to be righteous or just. Then there's the Greek word uh, that has the same meaning. And that Greek word is dikeiaos, dikeiaos, to render just, free, or be righteous. Dikeiaos, again, means to be just or righteous. That's this concept of how God expects us to be just or righteous. How do I become just? That's the question you ought to be asking yourself. How do I become just? We have access to become just because of what Jesus did on the cross. His blood covers us in terms of when God sees us, he sees us as perfect because of Jesus' blood, not because of us. But on the other side, we become just, meaning that we've availed ourselves to the power of the Holy Spirit. We're Christians. We, we, we've made ourselves open for the Holy Spirit to give us the power to do the things that we normally could not do in our own strength. So, dikeianos, uh, eios, is the Greek word that's rendered free or just. It's interesting that the definition free is associated with this word dikeios, and it means that we're liberated. We're no longer under the fetters of sin. Sin doesn't dominate us. Sin, do- sin doesn't rule over us. We're not ruled by the Holy Ghost. We're free, and because we're free, we're able to live righteously. We're able to do the things that we couldn't do in our own strength. We're able to forgive where we couldn't forgive before. We're able to be disciplined where we weren't disciplined before. Uh, Let me be a little bit personal. In my single days, um, I accepted Christ when I just turned 20, and um, I didn't get married till I was 32. And I had the opportunities to uh, do things in my singleness that were sinful. But, praises to God, uh, I was able to be disciplined enough to not put myself in a position where I would fall. See, I'm not the type of believer uh, who say to himself, well, I'm never going to fall. If we don't pursue righteousness, if we don't do the things that God wants us to do, then you have a high likelihood of falling. The believer who says he or she will never fall is already on their way to falling. Let us take a break to recognize our sponsors, and we'll be right back. There's no, there's no room for spiritual arrogance. We are where we are by the grace of God. So that means that we have to be ready for our spiritual warfare. And and being in a warfare, you have to be strategic. If I am honest with myself, I know what my vulnerabilities are. So I'm not going to put um, uh, things or myself in a situation where I find myself uh, having to compromise. That's very important. We should never put ourselves in places where we have to compromise or we have a high likelihood of compromising. We got to protect our minds. We have to protect our heart. So being free, as that word demonstrates, dikaios, is part of this imagery of being liberated. Sin doesn't dominate us. And then when you say, I can't do it, 
then you're contradicting scripture because Paul says we can do all things which strengthens us. Galatians 3 and 11, again, this whole idea of sanctification, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident for the just shall live by faith. Amen. We see this doctrine in the Old Testament where it says Abraham was justified by faith. And we know that certainly New Testament saints are justified by faith, where it says, for by grace are ye saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. So Galatians 3 and 11 reminded us, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God. And that is evident for the just shall live by faith. We, we have been justified. And we talked about that in the previous episode. Uh, and if you didn't hear the previous episode, please go on our website, srministries.org, or um, go to the Life Audio uh, platform, and you'll be, you'll be able to listen to it. But this whole idea of Jesus buying us from the marketplace of sin, th- this idea of redemption, then it says, we shall live by faith. That's the, uh, the gas that goes into the engine to make the engine run. So as Christians, uh, we have to walk by faith, not by sight. Uh, And without faith, Scripture tells us it's impossible to please God. So remember that, Galatians 3.11. And this whole idea of sanctification, again, is God has set you apart for him to use. That's what sanctification means. It's the same definition as holiness. Sanctification, or to be sanctified, means that God has set you apart, and he's going to use you. He set you apart. You're not just secular. You're, you're, you're not just, you're, you're no longer profane. God will use, use you as an instrument. He sees you as holy. Now, Galatians 3.24 says this, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. I love that. When Jesus says that he didn't come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill it, this is exactly what he's talking about. He's saying, uh, when the law was given by me and the Father and the Spirit, when it was given to humanity, it was intended for a specific purpose. But somewhere down the line, men started worshiping the law instead of the lawgiver. And as a result, as, as a result uh, they started being less than objective about what the laws actually meant. It's one thing to see the law. It's one thing to hear the law, but it's one thing to interpret it correctly. And what happened is by the time Jesus came uh, to earth, that uh, many of the religious leaders had misconstrued the original meaning of some of the laws. So uh, what Jesus is saying is the, the, the original intent, the true meaning of the law was supposed to serve as a schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, meaning that the principles of the Old Testament law are still being followed today. It, will, it, it serves as a precursor to what he was getting ready to talk about uh, in terms of, uh, of it being complementary. So what Jesus believed about the law, it's the same as what he meant back then. But now he's illuminating and making more clear what the original intent of the law was supposed to mean. So when they um, charged Jesus' disciples of breaking the Sabbath, Jesus asked them, um, was the Sabbath made for man or man for the Sabbath? He was challenging their views because in the, in the Jewish first century uh, view of the Sabbath, they have created all of these rules, all of these 
um, customs around the Sabbath that God didn't even ordain. So when Jesus came, he challenged a lot of their doctrine, a lot of, a lot of their views he saw as false. So he was helping the people become liberated from the bad teaching and the bad interpretation of the law. But yet the law had a, a significant meaning. The law had a, a true meaning in the sense that God had principles associated with the law that he wanted people to understand. So the law served as a schoolmaster. If you followed the law in the Old Testament the way that God wanted you to follow it, not the way that some of the people were twisting it, then Jesus is saying you were on the right track because it was leading you to the teachings of the Messiah. The law served as a schoolmaster. It guided them until Jesus arrived. Old Testament saints, they look forward to the hope of the Messiah. First Peter 1, 9 through, 9 through 12. When you get a chance, read it. Old Testament saints, they look forward to the hope of the Messiah as found in First Peter uh, 1, verses 9 through 12. This is Peter talking about uh, writings from Daniel, such as Daniel 3, 24, Isaiah 53, 1 through 12. And I love Isaiah 53 because it talks about the suffering servant. And its, it's prophecy is clear the way that Isaiah writes it about uh, he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon his hands, and by his stripes we are healed. So Old Testament saints, they were looking forward to the hope of the Messiah, which we now realize was Jesus. So when you get an opportunity, read Daniel 3, verses 24 through 25, Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 12, Jeremiah 23, verses 1 through 6, Jeremiah 23, verses 1 through 6, and even Zechariah 9 and 9. Zechariah 9 and 9. Now, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Romans 5 and 9. We, we, we have been saved from wrath through him. We thank God for that. And we need to be appreciative. We need to be appreciative of what, what Jesus did on the cross as it relates to the atonement, as it relates to uh, him saving us from wrath. Since we have not been justified by his blood, how much more should we be saved from God's wrath through him? Romans 5 and 9. Then in Romans 3.26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in him. Again, Romans 3.26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in. Then God's redemptive plan through history. All throughout history, God has been working on behalf of humanity to uh, uh, reconcile the broken relationship which took place due to sin. And so through the word, through the law, he guided those who believed on him uh, towards a relationship with him. And then when Jesus came, it became more clear uh, what God was trying to do in terms of salvation for all the world. And when you get a chance, look at God's redemptive plan through history uh, from the time of um, Abraham, uh, even through Moses, uh, which some call the middle bronze, and then from Moses to Judges. Uh, some people call that the late bronze, and, and that's 1500 to about 1200 B.C. 
Then from Judges to Solomon, some call the Iron Age, from 1200 to about 970 B.C. Then the divided kingdom, we see that uh, during the Iron Age, uh, the second part of the Iron Age, 970 to 600 B.C., uh, to the end of the Old Testament, around the third period of the Iron Age, 600 to 330 B.C., and, of course, the intertestinal period uh, during the time of uh, Hellenism, uh, 330 to 165 B.C., an intertestinal period, uh, the Maccabean period, as they call it, uh, 165 to 63 B.C., and then the New Testament uh, under Romans province, uh, 63 B.C. to A.D. 330. And why am I saying all of this? I'm saying all of this because God had a plan since the beginning of time. The devil thought uh, he had won, but God all along was preparing Jesus to come that we may know the true essence of salvation, uh, that whosoever will would have an opportunity to accept Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. But even before Jesus came, God had a plan of salvation through the law uh, and through relationship with uh, his uh, chosen people um, that he deposited the word to that all of us may uh, be reconciled unto him. Now, the word sanctify comes from the Latin word sanctus, which means sacred. Again, the word sanctified comes from the Latin word sanctus which means sacred, and it's the, it's the root word of the word sanctification, and that's what this topic is about. And it means sacred. Do you see yourself as sacred? Well, God desires to see you as sacred. He expects us to be sacred in a sense that um, just like, let me paint this picture, just like if you use the knife to uh, offer up a perfect animal without blemish to God in the Old Testament. That knife that you will use to sacrifice that animal uh, would be considered sacred. You wouldn't use that same knife to uh, chop down a tree. You wouldn't use that same knife to uh, cut clothing. That knife, only usage was to offer up sacrifice to God. So then you would Call that knife a sacred knife, a holy knife, because that knife is used for a holy purpose. In the same way, God sees us as sacred. So we can't use the living sacrifice, which is us, in a secular way. God wants to use us for holiness. God wants to use our hands for holiness. He wants to use our mouths as, uh, for holiness. He wants to use our eyes for holiness. He wants to use our relationship for holiness. He wants to use the type of clothes we wear for holiness, meaning that our lives now are to be holy. They are to be distinct. They can't be secular. It must not be sacred. So to label something or someone as sanctified means that the object has been set apart for God to use, for God's sacred purpose. Both inanimate objects, like I described the knife, uh, things that are now alive, that are set apart for God, are revealed even in Genesis 2 and 3, Leviticus 8 and 10, as well as people are called holy or sacred, Exodus 40 and 13. So they're considered sanctified for God to use. 
Then Genesis 2 and 3 is an example. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. See, the day is, is sanctified. That's an inanimate object uh, you know, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. In Leviticus 8 and 10, and Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was therein and sanctified them. Again, inanimate objects being sanctified. So here's the point. The point is the idea of sanctification deals with you being a living sacrifice. It deals with you being set apart for God to use. Perhaps you never thought about it that way, but that's the biblical definition of sanctification. God wants to use us as holy people, and he wants your life to be holy. Everything we're involved in, he wanted to be holy. Holy thoughts, holy actions, holy words, uh, holy songs, holy worship. He wants everything that we're involved in to be holy. This is why it's dangerous to try to uh, bring worldliness into the church. All of us have a standard, not just a pastor, not just your elders, not just a Sunday school teacher. We all have a hand in living holy. So I pray that you learn something from this episode. Uh, please thank you for your uh, giving and thank you for your prayers. And remember uh, to support us online or to send your donation. Remember to do it for the truth what so many do for a lie. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. Listen again next week at this same time. And remember, Titus 1.9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy messages has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Sound Reasoning Ministries, srministries.org. And as always, we would like to thank our friends at Life Audio for their partnership with us on this broadcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows. Hi, I'm Rebecca Scott. As a servant of God, wife, and mother of four, I understand the juggle of multiple roles and stages. That's why I created the Encourager podcast, to help guide us through the messy middle stage of life. Join me on The Encourager as we challenge the chaos and embrace harmony. Together, we'll create practical systems to balance your roles and fulfill priorities. And we will do it while having joy and energy for both home and work life. Tune in for inspiring stories and interviews, actionable tips, and methods to do both home and work life. Because here, we believe you can do all things, just not all at once.